This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Tuesday edition of Round Ball Stew Podcast on NBC Sports Edge. I am your host, Ryan Knauss, with my co-host, Jared Johnson, who I will introduce in a minute right after I read a pickup of the day after Monday's games. This one comes from our colleague, Steve Alexander. He actually wrote up, I believe, close to a dozen players after last night. So pick up the season tools if you want to read all of them. But we'll lead off the show with Anthony Simons. Steve writes, he's 20% rostered and went off for 24 points, a board, two assists, and four three-pointers on 10 of 15 shooting in the absence of Norman Powell. The Blazers have three games left this week, and Simons is nearly a must-start player as long as Powell or Damian Lillard is out. Nasir Little, who started the second half over Tony Snell and had seven points and six boards in 27 minutes, is also worth a look. There are some intriguing names left on this list, including R.J. Hampton, who we'll talk about in a minute. Jared, how's your day going so far? It's good. I can't complain. You know, it's only been a handful, well, like three hours. So hard to to get off to a bad start (laughs) in the first three hours. Okay. Looking forward to the rest of your day then. That's that's good. Do you want to talk Jalen Suggs? This is a guy who... I think both of us have been pretty, pretty down on. I, you know, in terms of his fantasy outlook, he seems like one of those rookies who we've discussed the inefficiency. Right. Uh, Aaron Robinson called out his streaky shooting, which has been a major headache in category leagues so far this season. Well, he's out for weeks. We don't know quite how many, but it'll be measured in weeks after fracturing his right thumb on Monday. Where, where do you pivot immediately? What was your initial reaction when you heard that that news? I said, shoot. I just dropped RJ Hampton and now I need to make a waiver claim on him (laughs) (laughs) because that's the guy who I expect to show up the most. It's been a little bit interesting that he hasn't been starting, but man, if there was ever a reason to, to get him into that starting lineup, running out of reasons not to have him in there. Yeah. Or I mean, at a minimum ramp up his playing time, but you're right. It seems like a natural move to just start him, especially with Cole Anthony still sidelined by an ankle injury. We're not quite sure how long he's been out for six straight games. You know, Hampton's long-term outlook is probably hurt by the fact that a percentages are a huge concern for him. Turnovers are going to hurt. You've got, you know, Suggs probably should be back in four to eight week range. You would think, and then Markel Fultz, who's ramped up his rehab from a torn ACL in the G League. Now, Fultz could be, you know, I'm assuming his, he's being measured in weeks, if not months still as well. And they're going to be very cautious with him when he returns for obvious reasons. So I'm not super worried about either of those, really. I'm grabbing Hampton. As you said, that was the first thing that came to my mind. I ran to the wire in all my leagues. I believe I, I already had him in one league, picked him up in two more, and someone else already had him in a, in a fourth and... I, there might have been another league where I got him, but basically I have a lot of shares of RJ Hampton now. So I'm looking forward to what he can do in the counting stats. I'm afraid that this will become a sort of KPJ light situation where he's getting pretty good counting stats, but the percentages and turnovers are just absolutely devastating. 
undermining his value, but I'm willing to pick him up while we find out. So that would be my recommendation. Just go scoop up Hampton. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Would you add Markel Fultz to your IR anywhere, Jared? I don't. I guess if I had one available, I, I don't at this point in the year. I don't have an IR available in most of my leagues. I like him, but it's been way too long. Yeah. So I guess no. <laughs> but but I I'm I'm eager to see how he how he plays yeah. once he's fully up to speed. I mean, he did show a nice flash last year before he tore his ACL. It looked like he was. He was kind of arriving a little bit, but yeah, no, I'm not going to pick him up quite yet. I'm with you there. And it's easy to say, well, just throw someone in your IR spot, but doing so obviously ties up one of those spots. Some, you know, some leagues you might have just one IR spot. And then if a player goes out, now let's say Jared Vanderbilt misses more games with a flu-like symptoms, you would be able to just drop him into your IR and then you're streaming a spot and getting value if you have someone like Markel Fultz, who's not even a sure thing when he returns in your IR, well, you're losing those streaming games. So you're losing value week after week. You're possibly losing categories. So, yeah, I'm not really into that move unless you're in a very deep league, then possibly makes sense. And I think I know the answer to this one, Jared, but did Terrence Ross and Gary Harris do anything for you? Definitely not Gary Harris. I, I suppose Terrence Ross in a 16-team league if you're desperate for triples. And he was actually the guy that did enter the rotation to close out yesterday's game when Suggs left. Still, I would rather have RJ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no no question to me. Terrence Ross, he's only 30 years old, but on that Magic team, he might as well be 45. I just feel like he's, you know, <laughs> he, he's not going to do anything the rest of the season as long as he's, on, as he's on that roster. Yes. All right, now another injury. we got a lot of injuries, a lot of interesting news and notes to cover, so we'll just jump right ahead to Joe Harris, who... Is expected out four to eight weeks after left ankle surgery. Woj wrote that there's some optimism that he could return towards the earlier part of that. So potentially just a month on the sidelines. It, it's kind of, you know, like, like hearing MPJ is ruled out where we've already seen what this looks like. And most of the pickups have already been made. So I'm not sure that there's a ton of actionable fantasy information that, that comes out of this. Patty Mills is the obvious one to talk about. Before Harris's injury, he was averaging 24 minutes, 10 points, 2.63s on 41% shooting. After Harris's injury, 34 minutes, so over, over 10, 34.4, 16.7 points, four and a half threes, which is crazy, 2.5 times. He's shooting 56% in that span. Obviously, anytime you see someone shooting 56%, whose primary job is to shoot three pointers, that's a fluke. So that's not gonna that's not gonna hold up. It's great while it lasts. I mean, have fun, enjoy the Steph like three point totals. I don't see it happening. So you know, if I I don't have him anywhere, and I don't feel particularly sad about it. Although, sure, there's some temporary value here. Yeah, I picked him up when Harris went down, and I enjoyed it for like a week, and then I cut him for someone that I felt had higher upside. You know, it's it's like he's playing well. But it, like you said, it's it's literally yeah. impossible for this to last. Patty Mills is not 50% from three. No one is. So it's <laughs> just like... Yeah, let, let alone 56. Yes, exactly. So yeah, if you need points in threes, go get them. Otherwise, don't feel too bad about missing out there. 
DeAndre Bembry is a guy, you know, maybe deep leagues, keep an eye on him. His minutes went from 15 per game before Joe Harris's injury in early to mid-November, suddenly up to 29 minutes per game since. So he's been a real part of the rotation. Not a great fantasy play. Not going to be a high usage guy, obviously. So again, just a deep league player to potentially keep in mind. Yeah. Sticking in New York, the Knicks have unceremoniously benched Kemba Walker. He is out of the rotation, according to coach Tom Thibodeau. Alec Burks is going to start at point guard, Jared. What's your what's your initial take on that situation? I mean, initial take is go get Burks. When that news broke, he was about 27. Now he's to 47. So he went from about 27% to 47% when that news broke. Probably not available anymore. But, you know, he's been playing really well with dimes, steals, and and triples and points. He's shown us these flashes before. I think this is more so just sad about Kemba. Like, he has not at all been able to recapture the hmm. player he was in Charlotte. He didn't, it didn't go well in Boston, and now he's in New York, and he's, like, not even in the rotation like, I know they have a lot of guards, but man, and just he got drafted in way mm. too many leagues, in my opinion. And if you were looking for an excuse to cut him, this is it. Yeah. Defensive liability, the, you know, the worst player efficiency rating since he was a rookie. All the advanced metrics are down. But this is one to me where it's just the eye test the past couple of years has been like, oh, this guy, you know, he's no longer who he was. You'd see very brief flashes of it with Boston yeah. where he looked like this explosive, quick game changing guard. But that would be maybe a quarter at a time or maybe a, a full game that he that he would get going. Right. But you could just tell this, you know, he didn't have the same explosion. The same quickness wasn't as comfortable. Didn't attack as much. His free throw rate is way down this year. He's barely getting to the line. That used to be one of his greatest strengths. Now, of course, that that style of play is part right. of the reason he is where he is in his career with his knees banged up because this dude was throwing himself into bodies year after year after year in pursuit of all-star bursts and, and wins for his team. I mean, that's what he's been about. He's, he's a, was a great player i don't think he is a great player anymore unfortunately but you know if you drafted him what do you do do you i I, personally i think i would cut him i don't think there's any trade value obviously when a guy has been benched maybe the name brand is enough that you can look at the top teams in your league and try to float a trade offer because maybe they're in a position where they're like "Eh, i could take on some dead weight maybe he surfaces i don't think it'll work but it doesn't hurt otherwise you just have to cut him i think yeah, and if you're doing that, you're asking for the best team's worst player. I mean, exactly. Yeah, it's you might you might as well just go to the waiver wire. I mean, yeah, you don't want to insult people with offers. Who knows? You might need to float an actual trade offer in the future. But definitely, <laughs> definitely, Alec Burks. I mean, since November 10th, Burks is averaging 14.3 points on 45% shooting, 84% free throws. Almost three three pointers a game, almost five boards, two dimes, one and a half steals, and just one turnover. So that puts him at top 50 nine cap value, lower in eight cat, lower in points leagues. But still, that to me, that's a must roster player. As you said, he's only 47% in Yahoo. So, you know, probably higher in competitive leagues. It's going to be tough to get him because he flew off the wire yesterday, but does not hurt to double check. All right, let's head north a little bit to Toronto where. Nick Nurse has been handing out DMP CDs to Chris Boucher. 
he's a cut everywhere guy. I've already cut him in the same league. I believe I've cut him three times this season. <laughs> I keep going back to the well. <laughs> now it says something that when I cut him, nobody else is picking him up because the faith is gone. I think everybody sees that. Yeah. Is there any left? Is there is there optimism here, or is it purely a situation where Chris Boucher needs to be traded to to have fantasy value? Trader and injury, and it's not even injury at this point. Honestly, we've seen the injuries, so I know. Yeah, it's yep. at the point where it's just a trade. Like unless literally, it's like right. Precious OG Banton, Kemberch would all need to get injured for significant periods of time for yeah. him to be able to become a rotation player. He's not a rotation player. He's he's literally not a rotation. He's not even not even little minutes, just straight DMPs. It's not there. Mm-hmm. Nick Nurse has mm-hmm. no interest in playing him. It's a luxury stash, I guess. That's what I would say. It's a luxury stash. If you can afford to, sure, but there's honestly no reason to we have not heard any trade yeah. rumors it's just you're hoping for something that we haven't even had any reporting on so yeah i'm, I'm done i love the phrase luxury stash because it it's very apropos and to your point we've seen all of those guys you mentioned miss games and, and boucher still isn't capitalized like overlapping yeah. versions of those players being out all of them have missed simon to me when he couldn't get it going without siakam I was like, uh oh, yeah, the writing seems to be on the wall here, but I don't blame Nick Nurse for not playing him. When you watch their games, he's not doing very well. He'll commit bad fouls. He puts himself out of position defensively, still going for crazy blocks that he's not going to get on the perimeter. Like it. Yeah, it's not a good look. So feel free to move on there. I like that point. I don't like to get mad at coaches for not playing the fantasy player that i want like right (laughs) it makes sense sometimes you know like it's frustrating if you drafted boucher but nick nurse has a championship for a reason like let's not call him a bad coach he may be annoying with his timetables and we'll pivot to og now but he's he is a good coach let's not like pretend that we're i don't know i just don't like calling people bad coaches i guess yeah and there's something to be said for like coaching where a coach is holding players accountable if you're not doing things right and you're not paying attention to the details you're gonna get benched and we saw that a great example in new orleans sorry my my cat is stuck in my office and swirling around (laughs) she's gonna start meowing so i have to keep reaching down to try to distract her when 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 you're talking i'll go open the door but in New Orleans, we saw Jackson Hayes get benched. He, he was getting minutes just because he's a young guy they wanted to develop, but he was playing horribly. I mean, yes. wouldn't get minutes in the G League the way he was playing. And then they they played Willie Hernan Gomez, even though I think he's on an expiring deal. He's, he's older and he's been playing fantastic. So they, get, they mm-hmm. gave him minutes and that's like a culture thing, right? If It's not always about developing that one player. You want to develop like a winning culture and so forth. So 100%. yes, all, all to the point, we, we bash Nick Nurse quite a bit, but... Not on this one. But here's why we bash Nick Nurse is because he told <laughs> us that OG Ananobi was going to be out a while. And then he got listed questionable for like the preceding three games. Mm-hmm. And there were, and I, th- I feel like there was a quote that like, he's getting close. And then the next quote is, he's made no progress and they rule him out a day in advance of today's game. So not great. Hip injuries are incredibly painful. It's basically a lower back issue. So that's annoying. <laughs> but, 
And we're basically not going to know when OG's close until he is basically playing. That's how Nick Nurse rolls. And that's the annoying part. Right. And I, I, I could be wrong on this, but I feel like a hip pointer, like it could be some nerve issues involved. I, that word hasn't been thrown out, so don't don't think that that stems from a report. It's just my speculation. But this sort of vague absence with no clear timetable and just hasn't progressed. Like usually if it's inflammation, that's not something you hear a coach say. So a little bit of a red flag there. I'm not panicking or anything, but Toronto's super opaque about injuries, by the way. And earlier this, this season, there was an example where Nick Nurse changed his starting lineup, told reporters one thing, like right before tip-off, did something else right after. And it turns out earlier in that day, Masai Ujiri, the team president, had told people at a some sort of, you know, town hall type Q&A thing, he had told them the actual starting lineup and mentioned that someone knew was going to be in the starting five. So Nick Nurse knew about it well in advance and just bluntly lied to yeah. the media. <laughs> so that's what we're dealing with when, when it comes to the transparency of Toronto's injuries and lineups. So. Right. Oy. Wow. Speaking of teams that tend to be a mess, the Kings. Ugh. So what do we do uh, post Luke Walton? Can we read into anything that's happened so far, Jared, or is this mostly meaningless? Because we haven't seen them whole. Harrison Barnes dealing with a foot issue. Rashawn Holmes had a bruised eye. You know, we saw Chimetsi Metu was a DMPCD. Then all of a sudden he started two games. Marvin Bagley, you know, apparently a showcase is a thing, which is gross to me and likely to backfire. <laughs> but what do you what do you make of this? And while you answer that question, I'm going to let my cat out. It's hard to read too much into it because it's really only been two games. I don't want to take any stats away from a triple overtime game versus the Lakers. And then the following game after the impressive triple overtime win was just an embarrassing blowout to a Memphis team that didn't have John Morant. Hard to read too much into that. We basically have two games. You, you mentioned Chemezi, who's been starting, but that's also coincided with Barnes not playing. Rachan Holmes is off the injury report for today, so he should be back. So we'll get a little bit better of an idea of what they look like tonight. But despite me saying all this, that we can't take anything away, I do want to ask you about Tyrese Halliburton. His first two, let's throw, I think we're going to throw out that triple OT game. Uh, when he had 19 points, I think that's extremely fair. Mm -hmm. So his first game, he only took five shots. His next game, he took nine. He only made two of them. And then in the blowout loss, he was he had four shots. So he's gone three of 18 in, in three of those four games. Uh, and that's averages of 3.8 points, 5.7 dimes, 0 0.3 triples, 1.3 steals, 1.3 turnovers. Are you at all nervous? I will say no, because as you mentioned, there were some blots in there. You conveniently ditched his one good stat line to, to make a small sample size even smaller. I get it. It was a triple OT game. But to me, so per 36 minutes this season, he's down in points. He's shooting 3% worse from the field and from deep. He's 9% worse at the line and he's down 0.8 assists, but he's up in rebounds. He's up in steals. He's up in blocks. And I think his shooting will improve. Like that's not something he forgot how to do, especially the 9% shooting at the line should come up. Those are correctable issues. Don't really have to do with his role. 
he's obviously a long-term piece for this franchise. Anytime his name comes up in trade rumors and so forth, it gets shut down real quickly. The Kings may not know what they're doing in general, but they seem to know that they want Tyrese Halliburton long-term. So he's going to get minutes. His role is fine. I'm not worried about Gentry messing with that, despite the plethora of guards there. So, yeah, as I... You know, I think small sample size stuff aside, I I view him, if anything, as a trade low guy, someone I'm going to go get while he's kind of, you know, scuffling along the poor shooting. You mentioned the new coach, there's uncertainty. So if there's a time to get him at a discount, I think this is it. I've heard people mention him as a punt points player. I've never seen that strategy work, Hmm. but I guess if you're punting points, he has been doing the peripheral thing. Punting points is a weird one because you have to find... Guys who can produce high volume in other areas. It's weird. With Yeah, it's just a strange thing. And then I've never seen punting points or punting field goal percentage work, but it's something that people talk about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, very unique strategies. Something like that where no, like a lot of people punt free throw percentage is obvious and gives you huge advantages on certain players. The marginal gains that you get from punting like points, for instance, tend to be smaller and harder to see you know free throw percentage is obvious but if you're going to dig for players who benefit you in a in a punt points build it's it's tricky but if you have a very clear strategy going in no one's going to be targeting the same guys as you so there's potential there but right a conversation for the off season i think reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh (laughs) <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro... Cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Jared, let's let's all take a break and download the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet and enter this week's free NBA pick and roll contest for a chance to win $50,000. This week, we're highlighting matchups between the 76ers and Celtics, Hornets and Bucks, and Timberwolves and Wizards. So if you don't have the Predictor app yet, download it now. Now seems aggressive. You can wait a little bit, but just don't forget to download it, I guess, is the point. And that I've mentioned on previous pods, but I've been playing this every week, even though as an NBC employee, I can't technically win. So if I were to win $50,000, it would be just me being very sad because I can't actually get it. (laughs) But you just answer eight questions. You take guesses about like how many points the Hornets will score against the Bucks. There's four options or maybe five. And if you get them all right, you win. So go give it a shot. NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. Jared, you wanted to talk about Zion Williamson 
he's been ramping up his activity. I believe he's taking full contact, but you, you have a big rundown on Zion, so I will hand the mic to you. Okay, let's start with Zion, Mr. Zion Williamson. The first problem here is we still have absolutely no idea when he suffered this injury. So I, I went back today and I looked at the video when David Griffin told us all that he would, was recovering from foot surgery. And this is what he said. Zion is returning from foot surgery, suffered at the beginning of the summer. Well, the beginning isn't exactly accurate, but early in the off season, prior to summer league, <laughs> and that's what he said. So, so where are we? Is, does that mean June? Does that mean July? We just know it was prior to summer league. Okay. And in that same speech, he also said that Zion was expected to be ready for the season. We're two months in now, and he's now just ramping up to four on four mm -hmm. work. I'm not trusting you, David. <laughs> we have, we also have absolutely no idea exactly where this foot injury occurred, which is incredibly important. We know that it's a fifth metatarsal fracture, which is bad, but we don't know whether it was a Jones fracture or a little bit higher up or just possibly in an avulsion fracture. Mm -hmm. Now, the fact that he had surgery would suggest that it is a Jones fracture, and that is bad, very bad. But an average timetable from this sort of injury is eight to 10 weeks. And again, this is a problem because we have absolutely no idea when he actually experienced the injury or had surgery. We d so how am I going to speculate on that? Yeah. Also, this is from In Street Clothes, which is a good website for injury stuff. The odds of refracture in a fifth metatarsal fracture are high, especially if the shape of the individual's foot contributed to the fracture. And this brings me a flashback of the memory when they were trying to teach Zion how to walk when he was a rookie or walk and run. Additional complications following surgery are also possible and are often linked to surgical hardware issues. Screws and implants can bend, fail, or even break through advancements in technique and equipment have helped in recent years, blah, blah, blah. That's a, another issue. And I, I don't remember off the top of my head who we saw this with. It was either like Gordon Hayward or James Harden or Kyrie Irving or something where someone had the foot procedure and then like a handful of months later, the screw was bent and that, that was another procedure. Hmm. If you can, yeah, I don't remember exactly who that was, but it's happened. Yeah, you're right. And now that brings us to the point of Zion Williamson being an absolutely massive human being who has looked not to be quite in the best of shape while on the sidelines. And this massive human being constantly puts extreme pressure on his foot as he explodes to the rim, where all of his shots come from. All of his shots are dunks. <sighs> so that's a lot. That's a lot of bad combinations for this injury that we have seen debilitate people ruin seasons. Let's assume it's fine. <laughs> let's assume, let's assume all that. Let's assume that he he takes the time he needs and he comes back good. <laughs> How does Zion Williamson's return impact players on this roster? I am incredibly nervous about Jonas Valanciunas being able to sustain his production if and when a healthy Zion Williamson is there 
just absolutely obliterating the paint. Zion Willies, Zion owns the paint. You know, we saw how different of a player, well, at the beginning of the season, Stephen Adams was falling off quite a bit. But my point is, I'm not sure that Zion and JV can work. They're pretty much the same player. Zion does get minutes at center. JV's minutes are at maybe close to a career high this season. And he's playing incredibly well. And I just can't, I can't see him continuing to play the way he's playing if he's having to share the paint with Zion. That was a long little bit on my half, but your response. Well, I agree. First of all, there's yeah a lot going on there. You mentioned not knowing you know where the fracture was and stuff like that is critically important because as you said, the Jones fracture is a part of the bone where there's not much blood circulation. So therefore it heals very slowly. There's so much to it. And the fact that the Pelicans hid the actual injury from the media is just wild to me you know what they bet what they gained from that i'm not sure there were reports that zion peaked at over 300 pounds during the offseason so right. how much of that weight was he able to shed while he was in a walking boot and while he's been rehabbing right. a broken foot like what is i mean he can swim in a pool and run on a zero gravity treadmill all these things and try to keep the conditioning up but again we're talking about a huge man whose leaping ability is the bedrock of his you know athletic appeal in the nba so there are a lot of red flags I'm, I'm with you. Let's just set all that aside because it leads me to pessimistic places. But <laughs> assuming he does come back, I think you're right. I think it actually helps to throw some optimism in the mix. It helps other players on the Pelicans. Like I think it'll benefit Brandon Ingram, Devontae Graham, Akil Alexander-Walker, all these guys, because yes. suddenly there's a force of gravity that teams need to respect. It's sucking in defenses and it's giving them more open shots plus as we saw late last season zion is a capable and willing playmaker so he's going to be yes. setting up teammates for easy looks so i quite like it for other teammates on the roster but i'm with you on jv i think it's big trouble his minutes were already kind of down with with hernan gomez playing so well recently now he blew up last night he went off for was it 39 points he hit seven three-pointers on eight attempts just an absolutely massive game what else do you have? 15 rebounds, seven offensive, three assists, two steals, just one turnover. So to me, like if you wanted a tailor-made trade high moment, this is it. Zion's not back yet. We haven't seen his impact. JV's, you know, little lull with his minutes going down didn't really gather too much attraction. I don't think there's too much hand-wringing about that. So this is it for me. Like I'm, I'm trying to trade him for as much as you can get. And I've mentioned before that the Pelicans awful record is also worrying to me now they've been better recently but they're still six and 17 they're not going anywhere fast so potential shutdown late in the season and before that conversation really picks up steam i i'll say it over and over try to get out from under it but hey maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm being too pessimistic but i think we're on the same page and and just to just to uh levy off the point that you said uh, I, I do think that Neil, I'm not, I don't think that Nikhil Alexander Walker is just going to be a reserve mm. the entire season. So I feel like once Zion comes back, that would be more reason to put him in the starting lineup. Just a thought. Yeah, quite possibly. And it, it feels like a move to kind of take pressure off him. Like they've moved him into that six man role where he can have the ball, but he's not a starter. Like it, it hasn't done a ton and the inefficient shooting is ridiculous, but yeah, I I'm with you. I think, by the end of the season, he'll be starting. He'll be playing 30-plus minutes. They have no reason not to at a certain point. So, you know, even if he's bricking his shots, he's going to be out there. <laughs> right. M moving on to another 
complicated situation. We don't have a ton of time, but let's just talk Rockets real quick. Christian Wood, you know, Matt and Steve went over this on yesterday's pod, so I don't want to go too deep on that. But he's been a monster recently in this three-game stretch. The Rockets have really pivoted to just using him at center with smaller lineups around him. What's your take on this recent development of Houston playing good basketball and Christian Wood being in the middle of all that? Look, if Christian Wood is on the floor, he's going to be great. He's also going to miss a lot of free throws, but you should have been punting that if you drafted him. So he's fine. As long as you're okay with ignoring the free throw category, he's going to put up some gaudy stat lines. Yeah, these past three games are probably, you know, this is too high, but at least this is his ceiling. Like he can be an absolute beast. So over that three-game win streak, Christian Wood is the third highest fantasy player at nine cat, according to Basketball Monster. The two people above him are Steph Curry. And do you have any guess as to the other player with more value in the past, let's say, week? Paul George? No, it's your boy, Clint Capella, Jared. Ah, Clint Capella! <laughs> Yeah, I knew you'd like being Ooh, set up for that one. Nice, nice. He did have an incredible week. Ooh, yep, he's getting yes. it done. So, do you have any faith? Other rockets we could touch on real quick. Let's let's go with Alperin Shangun. Per thirty six minutes, this dude's averaging seventeen points on forty nine percent shooting, over forty percent from deep, nine point four boards, five assists, two point three steals, and a block. So, per thirty six, that sounds crazy. Now, of course, we always give the caveat that you can't just scale up a player who's averaging 18 minutes or whatever to 36 and expect that to work. Mm -hmm. Plus on a per 36 minute basis, he's averaging four turnovers and almost six fouls. So it, you know, who knows, but it, if it gets close to 28, 30 minutes a game, I think that's great in the short term. It's a problem because he's playing a hundred percent of his time at center, according to cleaning the glass and with Christian Wood playing so well at center, he's basically left to do mop-up duty. But second half of the season, man, I could see this guy taking off. So, you know, we used the phrase luxury stash earlier. I think he's a perfect fit for that description. Yes. I think we kind of have to de define stash a little bit. When we say stash, it means that the player might not be pr productive right now, but we see the potential. Right. And I think people people are like, what's up with this guy? Why isn't he giving me any? Because he's a stash. Like you're, you have, you have to accept that he's not going to do much for you right now. It'll be a little bit. Right. I think, I, I think we use luxury stash to distinguish between an injured player who you can stash quote unquote, usually on your IR and therefore not necessarily lose games. A luxury stash is a guy you're just accepting. I'm going to have him on my roster. He's not going to do much. He's going to take up a spot, but. I think that he can blow up. It's usually something reserved for for teams in the you know top four teams in your league who can afford to do such things. So the rich get richer. Right. That's just how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also like not the best strategy in like a roto setting because a roto setting is the entire season. It's more of a head to head strategy. Right. Yep. And well, unless there's a games played cap on each position, and you can luxury stash a dude on your bench without actually losing games at the end of the year right but anyway we can get into the nuances of fantasy league stash strategies another day because we're running out of time to put a bow on the rockets garrison matthews is hot red hot actually during the rockets win streak 17 points 56 percent shooting four triples he's basically patty mills right now yeah i think we have the same take <laughs> yeah. points yeah. three is great stream them move on yeah 
All right, before we go, Jared, it's incumbent on me to mention that Tyler Hero did block a shot. It's over. He the, did the it. streak is over. He did it. <laughs> How many minutes? Six hundred minutes later, he minutes. got a block. There we go. <laughs> he really did it. There we go. I wanted to get into a discussion of how. Now, obviously, I joke about this. No one expects blocks from Tyler Hero. It doesn't actually matter for fantasy. But unlike percentages and turnovers, a guy not getting blocks can only hurt you so much, right? There's like a there's a floor to how bad that can look. Whereas if a guy hasn't made a shot in a week, he's destroying an entire category for you. So it's a difference in how you view players who are bad at counting stats versus the negative categories, the sub-zero categories, as as Matt Straup and I have termed them. <laughs> but we can get into that another day. I just wanted to tease a rankings discussion because you and I have gone back and forth about the inadequacy of just using pure Z-scores to measure fantasy value. So I know that's something you want to talk about maybe maybe next week or at least in the next month we can dive into that yeah and finally jared are you going to be watching a basketball game tonight and if you are will it be the warriors Suns? it is going to be the warriors Suns. that is a game that i am quite looking forward to i'm gonna steal this from you the Suns have gone 16 straight wins and i had double took when i saw that 16 straight <laughs> my lord well guess i i bet you it's gonna come to an end tonight against my Golden State Warriors, Mr. Steph Curry. Let's go for a 50 spot, 50 spot from Curry. Crazy to me that the Suns have won 16 straight and they're still not the best team in the West. <laughs> that, yeah. that belongs to the Warriors, quite, quite a matchup. That's on TNT after the Knicks-Nets game. So if you're listening to this on Tuesday, set up the DVR or clear your schedule. That's gonna be a must watch. Jared, that's all we got for today. Thanks for going over everything with me. And I'll catch you next week. Adios. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.